chapter one part two of the life of washington volume four by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one part two on the sixteenth sumter approached monk's corner but not supposing himself strong enough to hazard an attack until all his detachment should be collected sent a party to seize the bridge over watteau and either to hold or to destroy it this party being attacked by a superior force retired from the bridge without completing its destruction and without informing sumter that his orders had not been fully executed marion had joined sumter lee arrived late in the evening and the resolution was taken to attack coates early next morning in the course of the night he set fire to the church in order to destroy the stores which were collected in it and commenced his march to charleston by the road east of cooper having repaired the bridge over watteau he met with no obstruction and proceeded with his infantry on the road leading to quinby bridge directed his cavalry to take a road turning to the right and crossing the creek at the ferry about three next morning the flames bursting through the roof of the church announced the retreat of the british and the pursuit was immediately commenced sumter was preceded by the legion supported by the state cavalry a detachment from this regiment followed the british horse in the vain hope of overtaking the troop at the ferry while lee pursued the infantry within a short distance of the bridge which is eighteen miles from monk's corner he perceived the rear-guard of the british consisting of about one hundred men commanded by captain campbell which the cavalry charged sword in hand they threw down their arms and begged for quarter upon which they were placed under the care of a few militia horsemen and the american cavalry resumed the pursuit they had not proceeded far when lee was called to the rear by information that the prisoners had been ordered to resume their arms at this critical moment armstrong at the head of the leading section came in sight of coates who having passed the bridge and loosened the planks lay unapprehensive of danger intending to destroy it as soon as his rear-guard should cross the creek armstrong in obedience to orders given in the expectation that he would overtake coates before passing the creek dashed over the bridge on the guard stationed at the opposite end with a howitzer which he seized in this operation his horses threw off some of the loosened planks and made a chasm over which the following section led by lieutenant carrington leaped with difficulty in doing this some other planks were thrown off and the horses of the third section refused to take the leap at this time lee came up and every effort was made to replace the planks but without success the creek was too deep and miry to afford foothold to those who attempted to raise them from the water this halt revived the courage of the british soldiers who returned to the support of their commander then engaged in an equal conflict with the cavalry who had passed the bridge these gallant men finding themselves overpowered by numbers and that their comrades could not support them pressed over the causeway and wheeling into the woods made their escape after finding the impracticability of replacing the planks on the bridge in attempting which dr irvin surgeon of the legion cavalry and several of the troopers were wounded lee withdrew from the contest and moved some distance up the creek to a ford where he was soon joined by the infantry of the legion coates then completed the demolition of the bridge and retired to an adjoining plantation where he took possession of the dwelling-house and outbuildings that surrounded it 
as the americans were obliged to make a considerable circuit sumter who unfortunately left his artillery behind did not arrive on the ground till three in the afternoon and at four the house was attacked the fire was kept up chiefly by marion's division from a fence near the house till evening when the ammunition was exhausted and the troops were called off in the course of the night it was perceived that the loss had fallen almost entirely on marion great discontent prevailed and many of the men left him the infection was communicated to sumter's troops and there being reason to fear the approach of lord rawdon the enterprise was abandoned sumter crossed the santee and the legion rejoined the army then encamped at the high hills of that river the intense heat of this sultry season demanded some relaxation from the unremitting toils which the southern army had encountered from the month of january it had been engaged in one course of incessant fatigue and of hardy enterprise all its powers had been strained nor had any interval been allowed to refresh and recruit the almost exhausted strength and spirits of the troops the continued labors and exertions of all were highly meritorious but the successful activity of one corps will attract particular attention the legion from its structure was peculiarly adapted to the partisan war of the southern states and by being detached against the weaker posts of the enemy had opportunities for displaying with advantage all the energies it possessed in that extensive sweep which it made from the santee to augusta which employed from the fifteenth of april to the fifth of june this corps acting in conjunction first with marion afterwards with pickens and sometimes alone had constituted an essential part of the force which carried five british posts and made upwards of eleven hundred prisoners its leader in the performance of these services displayed a mind of so much fertility of invention and military resource as to add greatly to his previous reputation as a partisan the whole army had exhibited a degree of activity courage and patient suffering surpassing any expectation that could have been formed of troops composed chiefly of new levies and its general had manifested great firmness enterprise prudence and skill the suffering sustained in this ardent struggle for the southern states was not confined to the armies the inhabitants of the country felt all the miseries which are inflicted by war in its most savage form being almost equally divided between the two contending parties reciprocal injuries had gradually sharpened their resentments against each other and had armed neighbor against neighbor until it became a war of extermination as the parties alternately triumphed opportunities were alternately given for the exercise of their vindictive passions they derived additional virulence from the examples occasionally afforded by the commanders of the british forces after overrunning georgia and south carolina they seemed to have considered those states as completely re-annexed to the british empire and they manifested a disposition to treat those as rebels who had once submitted and again taken up arms although the temporary ascendancy of the continental troops should have induced the measure one of these executions that of colonel hayne took place on the third of august while lord rawdon was in charleston preparing to sail for europe the american army being at this time in possession of great part of the country the punishment inflicted on this gentleman was taken up very seriously by general green and was near producing a system of retaliation the british officers pursuing this policy are stated to have executed several of the zealous partisans of the revolution who fell into their hands these examples had unquestionably some influence in unbridling the revengeful passions of the royalists and letting loose the spirit of slaughter which was brooding in their bosoms 
the disposition to retaliate to the full extent of their power if not to commit original injury was equally strong in the opposite party when fort granby surrendered the militia attached to the legion manifested so strong a disposition to break the capitulation and to murder the most obnoxious among the prisoners who were inhabitants of the country as to produce a solemn declaration from general green that any man guilty of so atrocious an act should be executed when fort cornwallis surrendered no exertions could have saved colonel brown had he not been sent to savannah protected by a guard of continental troops lieutenant-colonel gerson of the royal militia was shot by unknown marksmen and although a reward of one hundred guineas was offered to any person who would inform against the perpetrator of the crime he could never be discovered the whole country said general green in one of his letters is one continued scene of blood and slaughter green was too humane as well as too judicious not to discourage this exterminating spirit perceiving in it the total destruction of the country he sought to appease it by restraining the excesses of those who were attached to the american cause at the high hills of santee the reinforcements expected from north carolina were received the american army counting every person belonging to it was augmented to two thousand six hundred men but its effective force did not exceed sixteen hundred active movements of the two armies after the retreat of general green from orangeburg lord rawdon was induced by ill health to avail himself of a permit to return to great britain and the commander of the british forces in south carolina devolved on lieutenant-colonel stuart he again advanced to the congaree and encamping near its junction with the watery manifested a determination to establish a permanent post at that place though the two armies were within sixteen miles of each other on a right line two rivers ran between them which could not be crossed without making a circuit of seventy miles in consequence of which lieutenant-colonel stuart felt himself so secure that his foraging parties were spread over the country to restrain them and to protect the inhabitants general green detached marion towards combahee ferry and washington over the wateree frequent skirmishes ensued which from the superior courage and activity of the american cavalry uniformly terminated in their favor finding that lieutenant-colonel stuart designed to maintain his important position on the congaree green prepared to recommence active operations breaking up his camp at the high hills of santee he crossed the watery near camden and marched towards friday's ferry after a short repose they resume active operations on being informed of this approach the british army retired to utah where it was reinforced by a detachment from charleston green followed by slow and easy marches for the double purpose of preserving his soldiers from the effects of fatigue under a hot sun and of giving marion who was returning from a critical expedition to the edisto time to rejoin him in the afternoon of the seventh that officer arrived and it was determined to attack the british camp next day september eighth battle of utah at four in the morning of the eighth the american army moved from its ground which was seven miles from utah in the following order the legion of lee and the state troops of south carolina formed the advance the militia moved next and were followed by the regulars the cavalry of washington and the infantry of kirkwood brought up the rear the artillery moved between the columns at eight in the morning about four miles from the british camp the van fell in with a body of horse and foot who were escorting an unarmed foraging party and a brisk action ensued the british were instantly routed 
the cavalry made their escape at the sight of the legion dragoons and the infantry were killed or taken about forty including their captain were made prisoners the foraging party which followed in the rear saved themselves by flight on hearing the first musket supposing this party to be the van of the english green arranged his army in order of battle the militia commanded by generals marion and pickens composed the first line the second was formed of the continental infantry the north carolina brigade commanded by general sumner was placed on the right the virginians commanded by lieutenant colonel campbell formed the centre and the marylanders commanded by colonel williams the left the legion of lee was to cover the right flank the state troops of south carolina commanded by colonel henderson the left and the cavalry of washington with the infantry of kirkwood formed the reserve captain lieutenant gaines with two three-pounders was attached to the first line and captain brown with two sixes to the second the british line also was immediately formed it was drawn up across the road in an oblique direction in a wood on the heights near the utah springs having its right flank on utah creek this flank was also covered by a battalion commanded by major majora banks which was posted in a thicket in a line forming an obtuse angle with the main body the left flank was protected by the cavalry commanded by major coffin and by a body of infantry held in reserve a detachment of infantry was pushed forward about a mile with a field piece to employ the americans until his arrangements should be completed the american van continuing to move forward encountered the british advance party upon which captain lieutenant gaines came up with his field pieces which opened on the enemy with considerable effect general green also ordered up his first line with directions to move on briskly and to advance as they fired as this line came into action the legion formed on its right flank and the state troops of south carolina on its left the british advanced party was soon driven in and the americans continuing to press forward were engaged with the main body lieutenant colonel stewart perceiving the materials of which this line was composed and probably anticipating its speedy discomfiture to avoid exposing his flanks to the american cavalry had directed his troops not to change their position his design was to meet the american regulars without any alteration of the arrangement originally made but the militia many of whom had frequently faced an enemy being commanded by generals of experience and courage exhibited a degree of firmness not common to that species of force and maintained their ground with unexpected obstinacy in the ardor of action the order not to advance was disregarded and the british pressed forward as the militia retired the artillery which was placed in the road was well served on both sides and did great execution till both the three-pounders commanded by captain lieutenant gaines were dismounted about the same time one of the british shared the same fate when the militia gave way lee and henderson still maintained the engagement on the flanks general sumner was ordered up to fill the place from which marion and pickens were receding and his brigade ranging itself with the legion infantry and the state regiment of south carolina came into action with great intrepidity the british who had advanced upon the militia fell back to their first ground upon which stuart ordered the corps of infantry posted in the rear of his left wing into the line and directed major coffin with his cavalry to guard that flank about this time henderson received a wound which disabled him from keeping the field and the command of his corps devolved on lieutenant colonel hampton after sustaining the fire of the enemy with considerable resolution sumner's brigade began to give way and the british rushed forward in some disorder green then directed williams and campbell 
to charge with the bayonet and at the same time ordered washington to bring up the reserve and to act on his left williams charged without firing a musket but the soldiers of campbell's regiment being chiefly new levies returned the fire of the enemy as they advanced in this critical moment lee perceiving that the american right extended beyond the british left ordered captain rudolph of the legion infantry to turn their flank and give them a raking fire this order was instantly executed with precision and effect charged thus both in front and flank the british broke successively on the left till the example was followed by all that part of the line the marylanders under williams had already used the bayonet and before the troops supposed to give them way several had fallen on both sides transfixed with that weapon the british left when driven off the field retreated through their encampment towards utah creek near which stood a three-story brick house surrounded with offices and connected with a strongly enclosed garden into which major sheridan in pursuance of orders previously given by lieutenant-colonel stuart threw himself with the new york volunteers the americans pursued them closely and took three hundred prisoners and two pieces of cannon unfortunately for their hopes of victory the refreshments found in camp furnished a temptation too strong to be resisted and many of the soldiers left their ranks and under cover of the tents seized the spirits and food within their view the legion infantry however pressed the rear so closely as to make a serious struggle to enter the house with the british the door was forcibly shut in their faces and several british officers and men were excluded these were made prisoners and mixed with the americans so as to save them from the fire of the house while retiring from it as the british left gave way washington was directed to charge their right he advanced with his accustomed impetuosity but found it impossible with cavalry to penetrate the thicket occupied by majora banks perceiving an interval between the british right and the creek he determined to pass through it round their flank and to charge them in the rear in making the attempt he received a fire which did immense execution the british occupied a thicket almost impervious to horse in attempting to force it lieutenant stuart who commanded the leading section was badly wounded his horse killed under him and every man in his section killed or wounded captain watts the second in command fell pierced with two balls colonel washington was wounded and his horse was killed they fell together and before he could extricate himself he was made a prisoner after nearly all the officers and a large portion of the men were killed or wounded the residue of the corps was drawn off by captain parsons assisted by lieutenant gordon soon after the repulse of washington lieutenant colonel hampton and captain kirkwood with his infantry came up and renewed the attack on majora banks great efforts were made to dislodge him but they were ineffectual finding it impracticable to employ horse to advantage on that ground hampton drew off his troops and retired to the road the corps commanded by sheridan kept up a continual and destructive fire from the house in which they had taken shelter and green ordered up the artillery to batter it the guns were too light to make a breach in the walls and having been brought within the range of the fire from the house almost every artillerist was killed and the pieces were abandoned the firm stand made by major banks and the disorder which had taken place among a part of the americans gave stuart an opportunity of rallying his broken regiments and bringing them again into action they were formed between the thicket occupied by Minori banks and the house in possession of sheridan major coffin who had repulsed the legion cavalry about the time the british infantry was driven off the field still maintained a formidable position on their left and no exertions could dislodge major banks or sheridan from the cover under which they fought perceiving that the contest was maintained on ground 
and under circumstances extremely disadvantageous to the americans green withdrew them a small distance and formed them again in the wood in which the battle had been fought thinking it unadvisable to renew the desperate attempt which had just failed he collected his wounded and retired with his prisoners to the ground from which he had marched in the morning determined again to fight the british army when it should retreat from the utahs every corps engaged in this hard-fought battle received the applause of the general almost every officer whose situation enabled him to attract notice was named with distinction never he said was artillery better served but he thought himself principally indebted for the victory he had gained to the free use made of the bayonet by the virginians and marylanders and by the infantry of the legion and of kirkwood to colonel williams he acknowledged himself to be particularly indebted he gave that praise too to the valor of his enemy which it merited they really fought he said with courage worthy a better cause the loss on both sides bore a great proportion to the numbers engaged that of the americans was five hundred and fifty-five including sixty officers one hundred and thirty were killed on the spot seventeen commissioned officers were killed and four mortally wounded this loss of officers said their general is still more heavy on account of their value than their numbers among the slain was lieutenant colonel campbell who received a mortal wound while leading the virginia brigade to that bold and decisive charge which broke the adverse line the loss of the british army was stated by themselves as six hundred and ninety-three men of whom only eighty-five were killed in the field if this statement be correct the american dead greatly exceeded that of the adversary which was probably the fact as the carnage of the former during their unavailing efforts to dislodge the latter from the house and strong adjoining ground was immense each party had pretensions to the victory and each claimed the merit of having gained it with inferior numbers the truth probably is that their numbers were nearly equal nor can the claim of either to the victory be pronounced unequivocal unconnected with its consequences the fortune of the day was nearly balanced but if the consequences be taken into the account the victory unquestionably belonged to green the result of this as of the two preceding battles fought by him in the carolinas was the expulsion of the hostile army from the territory which was the immediate object of contest four six-pounders two of which had been taken in the early part of the day were brought to play upon the house and being pushed so near as to be within the command of its fire were unavoidably abandoned but a three-pounder which had been also taken was brought off by captain lieutenant gaines whose conduct was mentioned with distinction by general green thus the trophies of victory were divided the thanks of congress were voted to every corps in the army and a resolution was passed for presenting to major-general green as an honorable testimony of his merit a british standard and a golden medal emblematic of the battle and of his victory september nine on the day succeeding the action lieutenant-colonel stewart marched from utah to meet major MacArthur, who was conducting a body of troops from charleston the junction was effected about fourteen miles from utah and this movement saved macarthur from marion and lee who had been detached on the morning of the same day to intercept any reinforcement which might be coming from below stuart continued his retreat to monk's corner to which place he was followed by green who on finding that the numbers and position of the british army were such as to render an attack unadvisable returned to the high hills of santee the ravages of disease were added to the loss sustained in battle and the army remained for some time in too feeble a condition for active enterprise november eighteenth the capitulation of yorktown was soon followed by the evacuation of wilmington in north carolina and the british seemed to limit their views in the south to the country adjacent to the sea-coast 
as the cool season approached the diseases of the american army abated and green desirous of partaking in the abundance of the lower country marched from the high hills of santee towards the four holes a branch of the edisto november twenty eighth leaving the army to be conducted by colonel williams he proceeded in person at the head of his cavalry supported by about two hundred infantry towards the british posts of dorchester where six hundred and fifty regular troops and two hundred royal militia were understood to be stationed the british army retires towards charleston though his march was conducted with the utmost secrecy the country through which he passed contained so many disaffected that it was impossible to conceal this movement and intelligence of his approach was communicated to the officer commanding in dorchester the night before he reached that place the advance commanded by lieutenant-colonel hampton met a small party which he instantly charged and after killing and taking several drove the residue over the bridge under cover of their works in the course of the following night the stores at dorchester were burnt and the garrison retired to the quarter-house where their principal force was encamped green returned to the army at the round o at which place he proposed to await the arrival of the reinforcements marching from the north under the command of general st clair in the meantime general marion and lieutenant-colonel lee were stationed on each side of ashley so as to cover the country between the cooper and the edisto thus confining the influence of the british arms to charleston neck and the adjacent islands while in his camp at the roundeau general green was informed that large reinforcements from ireland and from new york were expected by the army in charleston this intelligence excited the more alarm because the term of service for which the levies from virginia were engaged was about expiring and no adequate measures had been taken for supplying their places it proved untrue but such was its impression that the general addressed a letter to the governors of south carolina in which after taking a serious view of the state of his army he recommended that it should be recruited from the slaves the governor thought the proposition of sufficient importance to be laid before the legislature which was soon afterwards convened but the measure was not adopted on the fourth of january general st clair who conducted the reinforcement from the north arrived in camp and five days afterward general wayne with his brigade and the remnant of the third regiment of dragoons commanded by colonel white was detached over the savannah for the recovery of georgia general green crossed the edisto and took post six miles in advance of jacksonboro on the road leading to charleston for the purpose of covering the state legislature which assembled at that place on the eighteenth thus was civil government re-established in south carolina and that state restored to the union it is impossible to review this active and interesting campaign without feeling that much is due to general green and that he amply justified the favorable opinion of the commander-in-chief he found the country completely conquered and defended by a regular army estimated at four thousand men the inhabitants were so divided as to leave it doubtful to which side the majority was attached and no time did the effective continental force which he could bring into the field amount to two thousand men and of these a considerable part were raw troops yet he could keep the field without being forced into action and by a course of judicious movement and of hardy enterprise in which invincible constancy was displayed and in which courage was happily tempered with prudence he recovered the southern states it is a singular fact well worthy of notice which marks impressively the soundness of his judgment that although he never gained a decisive victory he obtained to a considerable extent even when defeated the object for which he fought a just portion of the praise deserved by these achievements is unquestionably due to the troops he commanded these real patriots bore every hardship and privation with a degree of patience and constancy which cannot be sufficiently admired 
and never was a general better supported by his inferior officers not shackled by men who without merit held stations of high rank obtained by political influence he commanded young men of equal spirit and intelligence formed under the eye of washington and trained in the school furnished in the severe service of the north to all the hardships and dangers of war a peculiar importance was given to these successes in the south by the opinion that a pacific temper was finding its way into the cabinets of the belligerent powers of europe the communications from that court of versailles rendered it probable that negotiations for peace would take place in the course of the ensuing winter and dark hints had been given on the part of great britain to the minister of his most christian majesty that all the american states could not reasonably expect to become independent as several of them were subdued referring to the precedent of the low countries it was observed that of the seventeen provinces originally united against the spanish crown only seven obtained their independence additional motives for exertion were furnished by other communications from the french monarch these were that after the present campaign no farther pecuniary or military aids were to be expected from france the situation of affairs in europe would it was said demand all the exertions which that nation was capable of making and the forces of his most christian majesty might render as much real service to the common cause elsewhere as in america End of chapter one part two